So please turn to John chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 13 through 22. And when you found your place, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there, making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken forty-six years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. It's a reading of the word. You may be seated. Like many countries, we're a country built on democracy, and, and I think that is partly done so we could avoid uh, having a lack of integrity in our, in our government. And, and so it seems like every four years we have these commercials, and I know in Illinois we're having one for governor right now, where you see all these commercials run that telling you how if we let this person, that somehow all this corruption that has always been there will go away. Even our, our current president ran, ran on that platform, and I'll leave that for you to judge how he's doing. But ultimately, we are seeking something from man that can only come from God. We are seeking somebody to purify our hearts, to, to, to give us leaders who would be leaders with integrity, who would lead with honor and without corruption. And so we, we see when, when Jesus comes to the temple, he is going to cleanse the temple of, of that. But I, I think it's important for us to, to remember what, what I said when we met two weeks ago. When reading, when Jesus does these things, I want you to ask the question, why? Why does Jesus go, the first thing he does as part of his public ministry, we talked about the, the turning the water into wine. That was kind of a private wedding ceremony, and only his disciples, his mother, and the servants knew that Jesus was the one that provided that wine. But this is his first real act. After John has said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus goes to Jerusalem, goes to the temple, and he makes a cord, and he starts making a whip, and he starts whipping around and casting all the, the, the animals out and flipping cages and flipping tables over. Not quite the humble Jesus that we often picture, is it? What's going on here? Why is Jesus acting in such a way? If you want to understand, we could turn uh, one, one book... The last book in the Old Testament is a book by a small prophet uh, known as Malachi. It's only four chapters long. It's an easy read. I'll, I'll read a few, few of the verses so we understand what Jesus is contending with here. From Malachi 1, it says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name. But you say, How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, 
Is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Oh, that there were one among you who would who would shut the doors, that you would not kindle the fire of my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. In every place, incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For not my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is perfuted, and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept this from your hand? And Malachi goes on to lay charge after charge after charge against the priests. So what, what is the prophet Malachi getting at? Malachi is the last prophet that speaks before John the Baptist. There was a period from Malachi to John where there was 400 years of silence. What it happened with Haggai and Zechariah, they pleaded the people to rebuild the temple, to rebuild God's house, and to turn back to God. And for a short while they did. And this created a lot of excitement in Israel. So much to the soul that they thought they were living in the days where they would see the Messiah come and reign as king in the temple. But what happens? Those days don't come, and they say, oh, we got it wrong, and they turn back to their pagan gods. And this obviously <laughs> angers God. And what is happening in, in Jesus' day is truly beyond comprehension of how corrupt it is. What has happened is the high priest's name is Annas. If you were the high priest, you were allowed to reign as high priest for one year, and then another priest was, would be put in charge for that year. Once you were a high priest one time in your life, that's it. That's all there is to it, similar to, to our present rule that you can reign for eight years, and after that, you're done. You don't get to go back into power. Well, Annas kind of, he's the Vladimir Putin of the Bible. He found a way around, around it where he seems to always come back in power. So Annas reigned as high priest for 10 years. And so finally people said, wait, this isn't right. You've got to step down. And so what does he do? He says, okay, I'll step down for a year and put my son in charge. And so he does this. He rotates around and goes through his sons. And he goes and he finally runs out of sons. So he goes through his, to his son-in-law. Anybody want to know his name? You should recognize it. Caiaphas. He is the one that will oversee the execution of Jesus. So you understand the, the political turmoil that is going on here. And you can say, well, well that's bad corruption. But, but this really has Jesus outraged. And so, well, what has Annas done that deserves this? First of all, he has, he has set up a system with, with the animals. If you were uh, a Jew living in those days, you had to bring an animal of sacrifice to give a sacrifice for your sins once a year on the Day of Atonement. And the way this would work is usually you would take a lamb, and you would take it into your home, and it would live with you for a period of time. Why? So you and your children would grow attached to this animal, so you would understand significance in the weight of the sin, that this animal had to die to, to cover for your sins. And so the people would take these unblemished one-year-old lambs and bring it to the temple, and they would have priests that would inspect these lambs. And what would they say? They'd say, oh, this lamb that you have brought into your home, it is blemished. You can't sacrifice that to the Lord. Come over here and buy from us lambs that are going to cost you way more than your lamb will ever be worth, and that are blind and have spots and would be blasphemous to present to the altar. And that is what was going on with the animals. 
go to God even worse. As, as many would come for the Passover for this one day out of the year, many would come from all over the world. And so would they have the Jewish coins of their land? No, they would have the Roman coins or the coins from wherever they, they were living. And so when they come and say, well, you cannot pay the, the temple tax with that money. You have to exchange it. And so they're basically these uh, kind of modern-day uh, payday loan stores. Said, okay, well, you, you have to pay two shekels. And, well, you, you have two shekels worth of gold from the Roman currency, but we have to charge you a convenience fee of 20 shekels. And so you understand well, what's starting to, to go on here is that this place that was meant to be a house of worship, a house of prayer, has become a den of thieves, a marketplace. And so Jesus is not happy with this at all. And so he confronts them. He, he comes right out at them and, and says, You are not to do this. This is my father's house. It is a house of prayer. And the place that they sent this up was the court of the Gentiles, which was the only place, and unless you are Jewish, is the only place you and I could go. That is the closest to the temple we could get. We were not allowed to go into the temple because we were Gentiles, we were pagans. So we would go into the Gentile court and pray. But at this time, there was nowhere for us to pray because the entire court was taken up by these practices, by these money changers, and, and by these people that brought animals to be sold. But it gets even worse with Annas. When we talk about giving your tithe and, and to test God if he will not give it back to you. And Malachi reminds us of that, of that passage. What happens here is that the Annas and, and his... Uh, he had a small army of priests that he built up. They would go in and they would take what had been given, set aside in all the, the, the land of Israel for the different priests for them to provide for their family. Because if you remember, the, the, the priestly line, the, the, the tribe of Levi, they had no land. They lived inside the other tribes' lands, and the, the, the tribes were to present offerings for them to provide for their own families. And so Annas was going around and beating these priests up and beating those that were trying to give them the money and steal the money for himself. He had made himself a very rich man by doing this. And there were priests literally starving to death, not able to provide for their families and having to leave the priesthood and go into the, the secular lines of work, going to becoming farmers and, and different things because they couldn't provide for their family. It would be like if, if somebody came in here and said, oh, that, that offering you're giving, we can't, you can't pay your pastor this week. We're going to take that money. And if your, your pastor doesn't like it, we'll deal with him. That is literally what was going on here. So I, I hope you understand why Jesus is acting the way he is. That this, this is a righteous anger that, that the Lord has. And so he, he deals with it, and he confronts the priest directly. And they want to know, what sign do you have? Show us what right do you have? What authority do you have to tell us what to do is really what they're getting at. And sometimes we're like that in our own lives. There's, there's things where we're not quite living right, or there's sin in our lives. We, this temple that Jesus is speaking of is his body. And he's also, there's a reference to the physical temple, which will meet destruction, as Jesus later points out in Matthew 24. In, in AD 70, that temple will be torn down, and it's still torn down to this day. But a day will come for Jesus when his physical temple is torn down. But he gave him this sign, that in three days I will rebuild it again. Jesus is telling you, you will kill me. And you'll notice later on, when he is on trial before Caiaphas, the son-in-law of Annas, what is brought up? 
He said he would destroy the temple and build it again in three days. They remember. And they want him dead because he is a direct challenge to their authority. They remember exactly what Jesus said. And I hope we will all remember. Because our, our bodies are a temple for the Holy Spirit. Whether you are living rightly or you are living in sin, a day is going to come where Jesus will purify your temple. For our dearly loved sister Juanita, that day is very soon. That temple of flesh and, and everything that's going on there, the, the sin that is in our bodies, it leads to death. The physical body will die. But Christ has given you this hope and this promise that you will receive a new body, a glorified body, a body like His, where you will no longer have to worry about decay and cancer and disease. Amen. You won't worry, have to worry about how many calories you take in at the buffet later. We all long for and look forward to that day. But I want us to, to look at ourselves and be sincere. Is my temple worthy enough for the Holy Spirit to dwell within Am I living in such a way that the, the Holy Spirit is pleased within the temple that, that He is dwelling in? And I'm not just talking about the physical way we live our lives. I'm also speaking of the spiritual. Or are we kind of being the anise uh, of our temple and saying, well, I, I know this is what you said, God, but you know what? I, I have some needs and desires, and I'm going to live them out and fulfill them on my own. I'm telling you, a day is going to come where Jesus will appear in your life. And he will tell you to get right with him, as he tells the priests. Why, why does Jesus come? Malachi tells us. I'll read, it, read this to you. It says, Malachi predicted that both John the Baptist and Jesus would each come as a messenger of God. He says, John the Baptist would first come and be the forerunner. And the one that would come would suddenly come to his temple to purify the priests. Peter reminds us Christians, who's he going to purify first? The judgment starts where? With the house of God. The judgment will start with the house of God. The believers, you and I, the judgment will start with us, and then the world is to be judged. A day will come where we will shed these bodies, whether in natural death or, or we are raptured up to be caught up with Christ. And those that, that are genuine, those who truly believe in God and have repented of their sins and placed their faith in Him, they will receive that new temple. But I would have you look to Jerusalem right now. There are some who, who as uh, we watched in our men's group, we, we watched a movie called Tortured for Christ, the Richard Warmbrand story. A pastor who lived in Romania when the communists came in and was in prison for 14 years, tortured every day of those 14 years to deny his Lord. He did not deny his Lord. He, he said... During that, that time in prison, he saw many that came in that did deny and gave up names of other people that were in the church so they could be arrested and tortured and made to deny Christ. So I, I learned that day that there are really two types of Christians. There are those who believe in God. Amen? Amen. And there are those, this is the dangerous one, who believe they believe in God. That is a dangerous place to be. There are many who, who are cold and, and want nothing to do with Christianity. And then there are those who are hot for the Lord. But there are some over here that are lukewarm. We need to examine our own hearts make sure that's not us. Because when, when that day comes where, where Christ comes to purify our temple, and it is a good thing to have the, the temple purified, we long to take off this, this flesh and put on the immortal. 
We, we long for that day. I think it, each day as we get older, we long for it a little bit more. Each day as we feel this temple getting worn out. Paul talks about it as a tent that is ripping and tearing apart. But one day you will put on the true tabernacle that God has created for you to be. But when we look at our lives and look at ourselves, will we see a, a temple that is going to be rebuilt? Or like the temple in Jerusalem, will we look and go and, and people still to this day will take pilgrimages and they, they will put little prayers in, in the wailing wall, it's called. Why? Because that's all that is left. A day is going to come where those who have brought God glory and honor by placing their faith in Jesus Christ, not their deeds, but by placing their faith in Jesus Christ, who have gotten rid of the corruption in their heart and have sought after God, they will receive that eternal body. And they will not have to, to worry anymore about death or decay because their body is a place of worship. We come together on Sunday morning because we, we come and we call it worship, and that is what we do. But you should be worshiping each and every day. The church is not a building. The church is the body of Christ collectively. Amen. You and I, we are, we are the church. The Holy Spirit dwells within us for all those who have believed. And so I pray we, we are cleaning our temples out. We are not allowing corruption. We are not a, allowing people to come in and, and with, with, with the money try to deceive people. Or we, we are not allowing that, that the animals, what we see is less than best be given to God. So I'd ask you, are you giving God your best? Are you saving your best and take, keeping it at home and you're going to buy that blind lamb to give it to God? I remind you what God said in Malachi. It says, try giving that to your governor. See if he'll be pleased. So let's invite the mayor of Aurora here and put on our, our worst possible food we could give him. You think he's going to be pleased with us? No. We all must look in our lives. Are we giving God our best? Not just physically, financially, but spiritually. Are we always going to be about the Lord's work? Or is it just when we come on Sunday morning? Or when we're that week we'll have BBS? You know, that those are the fun times. It's fun to be spiritual and to be about that. What about it when it's hard? What about it when your friend is dying? Will you be there? That is when you'll see if your, your temple has been purified by Christ. It's easy to come when things are going good, when the church is full, when everyone's healthy and prospering. What about when we're not? What about when it's hard? Will we be there for each other? I challenge you, church. I, I know what lies ahead in the days ahead with our sister. She is the matriarch of this church. Her and Papa Tom, as he was known, were the, the Abraham and Sarah of this church. But a day came where Abraham passed away, and Sarah passed away. Did Isaac and Jacob just give up? No, we can't either. We have to make sure we're always purifying the temple, making it a holy place for the presence of the Lord. Amen. So that when people come in, they come in and worship. That day will come where we too are cleansed, where our bodies are destroyed. And we look forward to that day where we, we will be with our Lord. And we will have that resurrected, glorified body. 
For some of us, that day will come sooner than others. I pray that I see the day when the Lord returns and we all get to go together. Amen. Be honest with the pastor. I don't, I don't enjoy burying people. I enjoy ministering to their families, but I could live my life peacefully if I never have to do that again. But I understand it's part of necessary because the wages of sin is death. And none of us gets to cheat that. None of us gets to escape it. But I wanted to leave you with one final point. Your entire life we talk about this battle of the flesh versus the spirit. Amen? And Jesus tells Peter, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So the flesh wants to give in so easy that that lust or that pride, whatever it is that the devil is enticing you with, the flesh like, yeah, let's go, let's do this. It's fun. We're told sin is pleasurable for a season. But ultimately, the spirit says, no, this is not right. This does not honor God. The flesh is the anise. He says, let us make a bunch of money from all these tourists that are coming in to sacrifice to God. We will make ourselves rich and stay in power forever. You can't stay in power forever. The flesh is going to die one day. And while it may seem the flesh is winning the battle, you'll get to a point in life where you're at the end. And a lot of times what happens, people, they want their sons and daughters, their grandchildren to come in and to be around them so they could say their goodbyes. What is happening in that moment? It is evidence and testimony that the Spirit has power over the flesh. Juanita should have passed already based off of her flesh. Her body is dying. Her kidneys have failed. But her spirit has not let go yet because her spirit is in control. Jesus, when he is crucified, should have died a long time before he does. But it's not until Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus understood clearly that the spirit has control over the flesh. What are we going to do with our lives? We can wait till the very end of our life and have that moment of clarity where we realize the spirit is in control. Or we can have it now. And as Jesus tells us, we crucify the flesh. We carry our cross daily. Allow the Spirit to be in control, and you will glorify God with everything you do. You will bring honor to His name, and you will see God bless your life more than I can ever express to you. But the flesh is going to try to win. You need to crucify the flesh daily. Let us pray. Our Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the great honor of preaching your holy word. I pray, Lord, if there is anyone here who does not know you, there 